Welcome to the Passive Income Through Multifamily Real Estate Podcast, brought to you by Limitless Estates, where Kyle and Lolita talk to top experts and seasoned passive investors in the business to help provide clarity and key insights to keep you safe on your journey to financial freedom. Our goal is to help you get educated on how to create passive income for you and your family by using real estate as your vehicle. Now, here are your hosts, Kyle and Lolita. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode. This is the Passive Income Through Multifamily Real Estate Podcast. I'm your co-host, Lolita, also joined by Kyle. Joining us today, Antoine Martel. Antoine, thanks for coming on the show. How are you? Good. Thanks for having me. Good. Nice to have you on the show. Here is a little bit about Antoine. Antoine Martel of Martel Turnkey is a real estate investment expert from San Mateo, California. Martel Turnkey has sold well over $3.5 million worth of cash-flowing real estate. Antoine also has a highly educational podcast titled a millennial's guide to real estate investing, which you should all check out. With that being said, Antoine, could you please tell the listeners a little bit more about yourself and what you currently do? Sure. So um, right now I have a turnkey rental property company, like Lolita said. So we do five to 10 single families, duplexes every single month in markets across the US. So in Memphis, Tennessee, Cleveland, Ohio, Birmingham, Alabama, and we're looking at expanding markets all the time. Um, so that's what I do on a day-to-day basis. I've been investing in real estate for four years now. Um, and been doing this always out of state. I tried to do the whole single family flips in California, but it never really made sense. I didn't have enough money to do so. So I've always been a cash flow guy, uh, always see class markets and blue collar workers and single family duplexes and been doing that for again, four years. And now I'm also looking at getting into multifamily side of things as well. So just bought my first apartment building as well. Nice. Congrats. Thank cool. you. So let's start with uh, turnkey. What is the difference between turnkey and I guess not turnkey? Sure. So turnkey, well, let's start off with not turnkey. So not turnkey would mean going on Zillow or Redfin and finding a single family home, making an offer on that property with a buyer's agent, and then buying that home vacant and renovating that home, find using a property management company to find a tenant, maybe making some repairs. So that would be not turnkey. It means that you're, you're going to kind of have to build the team on your own. When you use a turnkey provider, everything is given to you. So it's way less time on your part. It's also less risky because if you want to do a, a refinance, if you don't use a turnkey lender, then the appraisal is kind of is a risk that you're taking. Um, so turnkey in my opinion, is buying a property um, with a tenant in place, fully renovated with a team behind you that's going to help make that property a success. Um, So for us, we sell all of our properties again for their appraised value. We sell them with tenants in place and we sell them fully rehabbed. And we also help our clients get financing, get insurance. So it's not only just a, a property and it's not just a real estate investment. It's also a service that we provide to help make our clients have a successful cash flowing portfolio out of state. Okay, cool. So I think one thing that's unique about you is that you're an out of state turnkey provider, whereas a lot of people are in state, um, wherever they invest in. So that gives you the ability, obviously, to be in multiple markets. But how does that work from the standpoint of you being an out of state um, turnkey provider? Yeah, 
it's a little bit different. And I think it kind of gives me the edge because a lot of my clients are in San Francisco or are in Los Angeles and I can actually go and meet with my clients face to face. And they know, I know the struggles of an out of state investor. So I know best how to create a product and create a business that services those people. A lot of the turnkey providers who are there based locally on the ground, I feel like they don't really know um, the ups and downs of being an out of state investor and how it feels to actually buy a property that you've never seen before. Um, so I think it also like helps me cope or helps me work with my clients here in a little bit better of a fashion because they know that I'm going through the same struggles and I've been there before. Um, so it helps, yeah, create my product and, and service in a way to help those people. So what was your process of, um, being able to start a real estate or a real estate company turnkey provider that is out of state? Yeah. So it didn't start as a turnkey provider company. This wasn't my end goal. The reason why it happened is while I was in college, um, my last semester in university, I didn't want to go and get a job. I wanted to, um, invest in real estate. I wanted to do something else, start my own company. And my last semester at university, I took my dad's 401k money, which was $40,000. And we bought a single family home in Memphis, Tennessee. We renovated it. We rented it out. I found a property management company and we did a cash out refinance a couple months later right before I graduated. And I pulled all the money out. The property is worth 60, 70 grand after renovation. So did a cash out refinance, pulled all the money out. And I gave my dad his money back and I said, Hey, I can keep doing this after graduation if you want me to and <laughs> grow a portfolio for the family. You just got to bankroll me for my, my rent and I'll stay in LA, the cheapest place I can find. Um, and that's exactly what I did. So I grew my parents' portfolio starting with that $40,000. I went and raised money after I had that first completed project, went on bigger pockets, raised a couple million dollars and just started growing our own portfolio. That turned into a lot of people reaching out to me to grow their portfolio as well. And I said, okay, well, if I can grow my parents' portfolio, um, I sure as hell can help other people grow their portfolio as well. And a lot of people are busy and have 20 grand in the bank and want to invest in real estate, but don't know how or don't have the time. So we started selling properties out of our portfolio to friends and family and other people who would reach out to us who figured out what we were doing. And that's kind of how the turnkey thing was born. And instead of just emailing people when we had new properties available, I just made a website. I've made like a million websites in my life. I'm really good at WordPress. So it was easy for me to just put up some pictures and an address. And um, then I was just directing people to my website, go to martellrentaproperties.com or whatever the website was back then. And then people would go to the website and be like, Hey, I saw that one. I want this one. And that's kind of how the whole turnkey thing started. And then after that, I realized, okay, there's actually a real business here that I could create. And that's when Martel Turnkey came up. I actually spent money, made a real legit website, uh, and started doing real marketing and stuff like that. Awesome. So one of the things that I get from a lot of people when I tell them that I invest in out-of-state uh, single families and multifamily pro properties is they think I'm crazy. So what are some of the things that you tell your investors to kind of um, uh, start trusting and understanding the process of, uh, out of state investing. Yeah, that's, that's a hard one. Uh, it's all about people's mindset and instead of being an emotional investor, actually looking at as investing in a business and investing for not only their future, but also their children's future and for future generations. Um, 
what I have told people in the past and what I do, did to kind of feel comfortable with it was to go and find people who are killing it at out of state investing and just read about how successful they are after five, 10 years of investing out of state, even in just buying turnkey rental properties, there's tons of success stories. And even some of my clients and people who I've just met randomly through bigger pockets or other networking events who started just buying turnkey rental properties and they've grew a portfolio of 10, 20 houses uh, over a number of years. And they are now living on that cash flow, and they're 40, 50 years old and they never have to work again because all the properties are paid off and stuff like that. So I think that once people know that it is a real thing and, and that people can invest in real estate without actually seeing what they're buying, as long as you know and trust the people who are on the ground who are taking care and maintaining your property. I think that once people read a couple of those success stories, they're going to really light a fire under their butts to get, get going. Okay. Would you say that investing in out of state properties is the only scenario kind of to go? No, I don't think so. Well, so for me, why, why? Yeah. So for me, if, if you're interested in cash flow and you live in California, yes, absolutely. Or California, Oregon, um, Washington, any of the coasts. I think if you're interested in cash flow, the the place to go is out of state. Um, if but there's a million of different ways to make money in real estate. I mean, you can wholesale, you can flip houses, you can buy apartment buildings, you can do retail, commercial, all that kind of stuff. I think that if you're interested in cash flow, the best cash flow in the United States is going to be in the Midwest, um, and that's where that's how I found out that these markets were the best cash flowing markets. Is I made an Excel spreadsheet of the top hundred cities in the U S in terms of population. And then I went through every single city and found out what the cash flow is on a median price per door and a median rent per door. And that's how I found out that these markets were the best cash flowing markets. Um, and then also looking at the landlord and tenant laws in those markets to figure out my, my cities. And that's, how I figured out that these were the best markets to invest in. So I think for cash flow, the Midwest is the best place to be. The coasts don't make any sense. But if you're going to flip houses, I think it's a little bit of vice versa. I think flipping houses on the coast, you have a little bit more of a spread and you can actually make more money doing it. Cool. Are there any calculations or rules of thumb that you go by to um, kind of get that cash flow number? Yeah. So that's called the 1% rule. So the rule that I use is, and this is what I did when I was looking at all hundred markets. Um, the rule of thumb is if a property is worth a hundred thousand dollars and you want rent to be a thousand dollars per month. So that's called the 1% rule. So in Los Angeles, a million dollar property needs to rent for 10 grand per month in order for it to cash flow, right? Not going to happen. Not going to happen. It's going to be maybe five, $6,000. Um, so it's not going to cash flow at all. It's half of a percent. But in Memphis, Tennessee, I have houses for $70,000 that rent out for $750, $800 a month. So we're over the 1% rule. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. And that's why a lot of California investors do invest out of state. But if you're in one of those Midwest markets, you know, by all means, you can invest there. I, th I think it's all about the numbers. And if the numbers make sense, then, um, you know, why not? So, yep. okay, cool. So what are the benefits of investing in turnkey single family homes versus any other asset class? Versus any other asset class. Okay. Or um, versus other asset classes. Yeah. So for me, in my opinion, they're the easiest to get into. There's a, there's a 
millions of millions of properties that are available right now on the market that are single family homes that can cash flow and can create rental income. Um, there's tons of turnkey companies out there who are looking to sell their, their properties that are already rented out, already renovated, and they'll help you get financing. So I think that it's, it's the easiest way to get into real estate investing. I think also the returns are, are very, very solid. Um, whereas if you were to buy a multifamily apartment building, your returns are maybe anywhere from 10 to 15%. We sell our single family homes anywhere from 15 to 18% cash on cash return. So the returns are good. The financing is very easy to get as long as you have W2 and a good credit score. And there's also a plenty of deals out there. I mean, for my apartment building, it took me six, nine months to even find this deal and to get it under contract. And we looked at hundreds of deals to get this one. Um, but in the single family home space, I mean, within that six, nine month period, we had flipped over 40 houses, you know? So there's a lot, a lot more deals, easier to get financing and the returns are very solid as well. Okay. Where do you find and source your deals? Sure. So, uh, it's pretty much 50, 50 now between wholesalers and MLS. Um, I tried every single marketing tactic you can think of, uh, direct mail, billboards, bandit signs, um, everything you can think of. I've tried it and it didn't really work for me because I wasn't in that market and I was virtual. So it was a little bit more difficult, but yeah, 50, 50 wholesalers and, uh, MLS. Okay. And can you tell listeners what a wholesaler is? Okay, sure. So a wholesaler is somebody who, um, does some sort of marketing to get in front of a property owner. They put a property under contract for $50,000 and then they send an email to me and say, Hey, I have a house. I'll sell it to you for $55,000. I have it under contract. I sign a contract for $55,000 and they make the difference at the closing table. So they bought it for 50 without ever buying the property. They just have a piece of paper that says mm -hmm. they have, they can buy that property for $50,000. I sign another contract on top of that or make an amendment which says I'll buy it for 55. And then at the closing table, they get their $5,000 fee. Got it. And so what do you say to people? So if you're talking to a passive investor and they're like, okay, you get bought it from a wholesaler, they made five grand, there's a $5,000 markup on that. You know, if I didn't go through a wholesaler, I could have gotten uh -huh. it for 5,000 less. My mm -hmm. returns are going to be better. Yep. That's true, but you wouldn't have had the deal either. So <laughs> right. that's, that was a big hurdle to overcome. And a lot of people who... I work with two were saying things like I paid $20,000 wholesale fees on $60,000 properties. And then, you know, the numbers, the numbers are ridiculous for that wholesaler. Um, but in my opinion, you can't look at what other people are making. Um, you just got to focus and make your highest and best offer. And everybody needs to make money in different aspects of the business. And you, you don't know how much money that wholesaler spent to get that one deal. Um, and if you're going to keep working with that wholesaler and they just made 20 grand or five grand, then they're going to take that money, hopefully, and go back into marketing to find you more deals, right? So I don't care how much the wholesaler is making as long as the wholesaler keeps bringing me deals and knows that I'm going to close and going to bring them to me because I just paid him $20,000. Um, I, I don't really care how much the other people are making. That's what I've learned too over working with a ton of wholesalers. It's like you, you can't really... I don't care whatever I see on that HUD, whatever I see on that closing statement for their fee. It doesn't matter to me. I just got to know that I'm buying the property for the price that I'd be happy paying. Um, and that's what I make offers to the wholesalers at. 
Right. I mean, everyone's got to take a little piece of the pie. And if everyone can win, then why not? Right. And exactly. and like you said, you're building a relationship. So that relationship is going to hopefully be, you know, over the course of several years and, and yep. further. So um, the better the relationship, the better the deals you're going to end up getting. So, yep. okay. Um, let's see. What are some of the things that passive investors need to be careful for when dealing with a turnkey provider? Yeah. Um, so a lot of turnkey providers are going to do a couple of really weird things. Um, they're going to make you put a deposit down in order to get access to their listings. First of all, never give anybody a deposit without even seeing their product or whatever they have to offer. Some people, turnkey providers will ask for five or $10,000 so that they can go and find you a deal that works for you. Don't you think that they should already have some deals available? Like, why do you, why do they need your five grand? Um, first of all. A lot of turnkey providers out there are not going to sell you properties um, with tenants in place. Um, so they'll actually sell you properties that are vacant and then they'll say, oh, our property management company will rent it out once you close. Um, sure, that sounds all great, but what if that doesn't happen? And what if it takes 30, 60, 90 days to rent out the property? And what if you know your property's last on the list for that property management to get rented out? And what if the turnkey provider owns the property management company and, and they want to make a fee on that? Because typically when you use a property management company, they take first month rent as a fee to fill the unit. So if the, if the turnkey company owns the property management company, they sell you the property vacant, it's because they want to make that seven $800 fee for renting out the property for you. But with my turkey company, we just sell the properties with tenants already in place. So I actually eat that fee. I want my, my investors to make cash flow from day one. Um, another big one that a lot of turnkey providers do is they don't sell their properties for their appraised value. So they'll actually sell properties over the appraised value and make you, the buyer, come up with the difference. Um, for us, one of the things when I started, because I was selling to friends and family, I was like, here's the price that we want. Sign the contract under the price we want. And then we'll see what the appraisal says. And if the appraisal comes in low, we'll work it out between us or we'll drop the price down to the appraised value. So that's what we, that's what we did since the beginning because we didn't want to overcharge our friends and family. We didn't want to sell them properties over the market value. We wanted them to feel happy that they were buying a property for what it's worth. Um, so that's what I've been doing for the very beginning. And I still do that to this day with even clients who just call me up out of the blue. Yeah, I, I have my some of my single family homes too, and I bought them all turnkey. Oh, and the one thing I would say is to make sure that you do third party appraisals and inspections, because some of these turnkey providers have these guys in their pockets, right? So if they need yeah. something to come in five or 10k higher, they can get it. Mm -hmm. And when you turn around and go sell that home, all of a sudden, it's worth five, 10 grand less, and you're in big yeah. trouble, and you're underwater. So I would just say, make sure you do your due, your due diligence like any other investment. But definitely with single family turnkeys, hire a third party appraiser, third party property inspection, um, and not always go with what's referred by the turnkey provider. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. If, if a turnkey provider forces you to use their lender or their insurance company or whatever else, like there's, there's a catch, even they're getting checks on the back burner or there's a reason why they're forcing you to use certain companies. Mm -hmm. So I of course give all my clients recommendations for the cheapest lender, like these are lenders that I use personally. And I'm like, Hey, 
they're local to the Midwest. They have the best rates that I've seen and I use them personally. So I'd recommend you use them, but sure you can go and use chase, but you know, we may have an issue with an appraisal and you may lose your $700 and you may need to back out. Um, or we can use this lender who's, you know, knows the neighborhoods well, they have good appraisers and that they also have the cheapest interest rates, um, compared to chase or bank of America, Wells Fargo. Perfect. Okay. Let's talk numbers now. So what are your investors getting as far as returns and what do they typically need to put into a deal when they're buying, let's just say one single family home. Sure. Single family home, Memphis, Tennessee, let's say, um, 70,000, $75,000 purchase price. So they'll put down, uh, around 20%, which is $15,000 plus some closing costs. You'll have $1,500 in bank fees, $1,500 in escrow fees, so it's going to be $3,000 in closing costs. So 15, 16, 17, 17, 18, $19,000 down. Um, I typically tell my clients to save up 20 grand and then they're ready to go. So save up $20,000, then reach out to me and we'll find you a property that works. Um, so that's typically what the, what the clients put down that property, 70, $75,000 will rent out for 725 to 775 800 so it typically will beat or match the one percent rule so um one percent or higher um and for that out of that will come taxes insurance property management your debt service and then the cash flow per month is anywhere from 200 to 250 dollars per month after all expenses have been paid Okay. So they're making about $2,000 a month on a $20,000 investment. So 10 plus percent cash on cash return, which is pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. 200, yeah. 250 per month, 200 to $250 per month in, in cash flow. Okay. Yeah. And you know, it only takes 20 grand to buy a house and invest in real estate. I think a lot of people have this notion that you need to have hundreds and millions of yep. dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars, millions of dollars to start investing yep. in real estate. Now, are you going to become rich off of this? No, but you're going to start to create that passive income and you build on that. And so 20 grand to get into uh, real estate investing, it's not that much. Um, you definitely have to save up, but uh, you can start cash flowing pretty immediately. And, you know, 10% cash on cash returns are better. Uh, that seems pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. So our typical cash on cash return is 15 to 20%, not including any holdback. So without holding back vacancy or maintenance, if you hold back vacancy and maintenance, of course, depending on how much you want to hold back, people have different rules that they like to use. Um, But if you hold back 5% for each, it's anywhere from 10% to 13% cash on cash return with the holdbacks. Okay. And so that kind of leads me to my next question is what do you, what do you say people should hold back? And, um, on top of the vacancy and maintenance, what about like a CapEx reserve fund as well? So for me personally, I only hold back for vacancy and maintenance for the CapEx. Typically when I'm selling my properties, I take, try to take care of the big CapEx stuff. So my properties are typically sold with new roofs or, you know, all the plumbing and electrical up to date. And then the only other thing you have to worry about is HVAC and heating. Um, and if I sell a property with a older HVAC or heating system, I'll actually just get a home warranty for that client and pay for it for them. So they don't have to worry about the large CapEx. Um, so typically I just hold back 5% for vacancy, 5% for maintenance. Um, again, because the properties have just been fully renovated. They have a brand new tenant. We even in Memphis, we've even put tenants on a two-year lease. So even that 5% vacancy number, that's why I feel really comfortable with that number as well. Cause you're getting a property 
already fully renovated with a two-year tenant in place. Yeah. Okay. So the one thing I would say, and I've seen pictures of Antoine's um, rehabs and they're high end. And so you need to pick the right providers because there are some providers out there that will not put a new roof on and say it's turnkey, will not upgrade the plumbing, will not put in new windows. And so if you're buying turnkey properties like that, then you do need to have a CapEx reserve. Um, and you know, it really does depend. I do five to 6% myself of the value of the home. So let's just say we're going to do a hundred grand. Then I have five or $6,000 of capital improvements that are set aside on top of 5% uh, maintenance. And then I do 8% vacancy, but, um, yeah, a turnkey provider does not mean, or they're not all created equal by any means. And so I think it's important to do your due diligence. And if they're doing high end, then yeah, you can definitely do that, but you need to really be careful. And, and I would suggest taking a look at the work they've done on those. Yeah. Yeah. And if you find a property from a turnkey provider, ask them what the hell they did to it. Right. So what renovation went into this house? What big ticket items did you take care of? A lot of them won't even share the info from, you know, about and get it in writing, get it yeah. in writing. Yeah. And get it. Yeah. So I would ask them for that and then you can make the decision. Okay. Should I put a CapEx in here? Did they take care of the big items or did they not? Um, yeah. Perfect. All right, cool. I think Lolita is going to take us into our final four questions. Cool. Great stuff, Antoine. All right. Well, in wrapping things up, I'm going to ask you our final four questions. You ready? Yep. All right. So what is the one tool you use in real estate investing that you could not do without? Oh, probably my CRM. So I built, so being a real estate investor is really, especially when you're doing five, 10 transactions per month, it's really hard to keep track of everything. So I actually have a CRM, but I custom built it. So that's probably not a very good answer. Um, <laughs> hey, your answer is your answer. So if you can't do without it, that's good. That's cool. <laughs> okay. But it wasn't anything I could share with people though. Oh, that's okay. We're okay. looking for one. We can test it out. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, can you tell us a story about your biggest mistake in real estate investing so far? And what is the main takeaway for our listeners? Sure. Um, yeah, I have a really good one. Um, so when I first started, I was in Memphis, Tennessee. That's where I bought my first house, right? And then I raised a bunch of money and I went from one deal to five deals within two months. So I was scaling up pretty fast. And then I realized, oh my God, I need more deals in order to pay for my bills so that I can live in LA, which is expensive. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, I'll just go remember that hundred city list. I was like, okay, I'll go to city number two that I found for my mm-hmm. research and Cleveland, Ohio was that city. So I said, okay, I'll just build the team in Cleveland, Ohio. I flew out there a couple months after graduating college, flew out there by myself, set up a bunch of meetings with people and found a property manager, found a realtor, put them all together and said, hey, this is what we're going to do. We're going to start buying properties, rehabbing them, renting them out. That went perfect. So I had five deals in Memphis, Tennessee going. I raised more money for Cleveland now. I didn't even do a deal in Cleveland. The first deal I did in Cleveland was raised through one of my investors. So I was like, okay, I got a perfect system in place. Mm-hmm. So then I started doing deals in Cleveland, bang, banging them out. I was doing, did a couple more deals in Cleveland a couple months later. And then I was like, okay, well, why can't I just do another city? So then went number three city on the list and it was Akron, Ohio. So I said, oh, okay, I'm, I'm so good at doing this. I can build a team in you know, a couple of phone calls. So that's what I did. I called a bunch of people in, in Akron, Ohio. I didn't go and visit there because I was so confident in myself and what I can do. And I was the best team builder ever. And uh, I built a team in Akron, Ohio and we did one deal and that was the worst 
thing that the worst team that I had ever built. These people had no idea what the hell they were doing. There was all this confusion about the rehab that needed to be mm-hmm. done um, and what was going on with the project. So I would just say the main takeaway, I eventually figured it out and just like just got out of Akron, Ohio and just let the team kind of die. Um, I was able to get rid of the house and sell it and make money still, which was kind of crazy. Um, but the biggest takeaway was just don't get too confident in your skill set and what you're doing. You may be able to hit the bullseye a hundred times in a row, but 101, you may miss the target. So don't get too confident. Always run your numbers, always do your diligence, due diligence on the people that you're working with. Um, and yeah, don't get too confident. I've seen people mess up way more than that story mm-hmm. and lose, you know, their whole life savings because they got too confident. Yeah. Great advice. Uh, what is it that you need to do now to grow your life, your life to the next level? Yeah. So I need to do bigger deals. Um, single family homes are great. Um, but they're small and they take a lot of time. So what I'm trying to do is move up into some bigger asset classes. Um, you know, I've helped grow my family's portfolio of single families to a pretty um, nice point. And we're starting to sell those properties off now to grow up some cash so that we can take that, those funds and, and um, acquire some more, some bigger deals, some apartment buildings. Fantastic. And lastly, where can people find out more about you? Sure. So like you said, I do have a podcast, a millennials guide to real estate investing. It's funny you said that uh, earlier in the podcast, like people don't realize you only need 15, 20 grand to get into real estate. That's literally the, the main reason why I started a podcast. It's because that's why it's called a millennials guide to real mm-hmm. estate investing. Cause millennials are the one group that think like real estate, something they can never get into, but it's definitely not true as you can tell. Um, so anybody with 15, 20 grand can buy real estate, get into real estate with very little amount of money. So there's that podcast. Um, my Instagram too. I post a lot of content, give a lot of, value without asking much in return. Um, that's Martel Antoine, M-A-R-T-E-L-A-N-T-O-I-N-E. Um, and then also my website, martelturnkey.com. So that'll show all my properties. My contact info is up there as well. Perfect. Well, we really appreciate your time um, providing our listeners with the knowledge of out of state investing and the great services that Martel Turnkey can provide. So thank awesome. you. Yeah. Thanks for having me guys. And, uh, Excited to listen to this episode and all the other episodes you guys got. Awesome. Thanks for being on the show. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks for listening. To learn more about the passive income through multifamily real estate podcast and to get access to today's show notes and to previous shows, visit limitless-estates.com. If you enjoyed this show, please subscribe to the podcast. Thanks again for joining us. Be sure to tune in again next week for another episode.